Welcome to Booz Allen Hamilton's Unstoppable Together podcast, a series of stories that unite us and empower each of us to change the world. I'm Jenny Brooks with Booz Allen Hamilton, and I'm passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Please join me in conversation with a diverse group of thought leaders to explore what makes them and all of us unstoppable. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unstoppable Together podcast. I'm Jenny Brooks, and I'm excited today to be joined by Tony Fantasia, a lead scientist and a former sergeant for the United States Army. Tony served in the Army as a combat medic for 12 years with two combat tours to Afghanistan and Iraq, respectively. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jenny. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for being here. You've joined us today to talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, otherwise known as PTSD. For those of us listening today, can you start by giving us a, a general understanding of what PTSD is? I know it's often associated with military service, but it can be the result of many different experiences, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I have to preface everything that I say with, I am not a psychiatrist or psychologist. I am not a medical professional or expert. So this is coming from my research and my experience. Post-traumatic stress disorder is the result of prolonged exposure to stress, to stressful situations, stressful scenarios, trauma, without the means of a coping mechanism. So when you are exposed to trauma and stress in a repeated fashion over time, without a coping mechanism, there's a, a portion of your brain called the amygdala that controls your fight or flight response. And the more often you allow the amygdala to cope with the situations for you, the stronger that response gets and the less control you have over it. So over time, you can find yourself reacting to triggers and stressors physically, emotionally, consciously, and in most often cases, subconsciously, without even realizing it. And then you come out of that experience and you have these gaps in time and cognizance and awareness that you you can't get that back. So it creates fear and paranoia and insecurity because you are ostensibly out of control of your own reaction to stress. When you do manage to gain some control over the triggers and the stressors, then you you start working on transitioning from the post-traumatic stress disorder to the post-traumatic stress syndrome, which is the managed side of the stress. Okay. I read once years ago, someone used the analogy of anxiety and and, and panic disorders as like a runaway wild stallion that was sort of running, you know, amok. And it was a very disciplined process and a lot of work to kind of rein the wild stallion back in. What is your experience with PTSD? Well, um, it's easy to say that it's all the Army's fault, but it's not. I had two combat tours very early on in, in my life and in my career. So I experienced things that were traumatic, but it actually goes back into my early childhood. I had family issues, uh, emotionally abusive situations, I want to say that it seems like after I got out of the army that all these scenes started to surface, but they've been surfacing all throughout my life. So a 
child under stress. A child in a man's body under stress. I mean, as a child, you, you can you can get some forgiveness, some sense of understanding and forgiveness from the general public. But when you're an adult person and you, you're feeling like a child, there's no sympathy for you. You know, they call that invisible wound. And it would be a lot easier. I'm not knocking it or anything, but it'd be a lot easier if I had lost a limb. Because then somebody could say, hey, there's there's a thing that's wrong with you. And I can understand what that thing is, or at least I can kind of sympathize. But when your scars are internal, it's just harder to get understanding because people can't understand something that they can't physically see, even if a lot of them carry those same scars within themselves. Right. Was there a pinnacle moment or experience that really was sort of the point where it changed for you and you did start to get supports that maybe you hadn't had all this time growing up? Yeah, there was a pinnacle moment. And this was probably back in 2007, about a year after I got back from Iraq. And I was just becoming aware with my wife's help that I had PTSD and that the world wasn't really what I thought it was. And I was trying to come to terms with that. And I was sitting in my living room. My family was gone on a, a vacation. I stayed behind and just kind of isolated. And I was sitting in my living room and I was watching Lord of the Rings. The character that I identified with the most on this particular day was this character called Gollum. And he's kind of having this little bipolar argument with a reflection of himself in a stream. So while he's sitting there telling himself that he doesn't need this angry, vicious little side of his psyche to, to protect him anymore because he has this hobbit. He found kindness and he found love and he doesn't need this corrupt internal survival instinct to guide his steps anymore. And I thought, yeah, I get that. I recognize that in me, that I was disassociated from who I really was. And I was living in this fantasy state about who I wanted to be or who I thought I should be or how I thought I could be. And I started to narrate my life. To myself, not like on a camera or anything, but anything that I did, I narrated my actions so that I kept myself aware of what I was doing every moment at that moment. Every time I felt myself starting to drift off into this fantasy world, I would rein myself back and say, I am going to the refrigerator. I am pulling out a pitcher of tea. I am pouring myself a drink. I'm drinking my beverage. I'm brushing my teeth for two months. I had to narrate everything that I did so that I kept my mind focused on what I was doing. And the more I did that, the less I needed that person inside my head to tell me what to do. Now I'm making decisions based on my assessment of the reality that I'm living leading up to that moment. And it's 100% more willful and 100% less risk. Right. When you read about anxiety or panic, and some of the very simple, simple things they talk about is just count your breaths, taking your mind to a different place out of the fight or flight yeah, yeah. posture that it's in and distracting it with something else. Those tangible connections to the world are really what ground us. People who isolate, I isolated for about 10 years. And when you isolate, it's very easy to get trapped in what you think reality is, but you you have removed yourself so far from reality that it's no longer reality. It's a prison. I took on leather work. First, it started off as a means to replace a wallet that some friends had made for my dad when he was in the army. And 
When it fell apart and I was looking to buy a new one, my wife recommended that I just make my own. So I went to a store, I bought a kit and some tools, and I focused on making a wallet. And that focusing with my hands and my mind, the smell of the leather, the feel of everything, it, it engaged my mind in such a way that I was so focused on that, it changed something in the way that my brain was seeing the world, that it wasn't black and white, that there was a gray area in there that I had been ignoring about myself for so long, and I was discovering that I could do things that I told myself I could never do before. So then that wallet turned into a hobby and turned into a therapy because the more I focused on the design and the execution of anything that I was working on, I was freeing up my subconscious to kind of reconcile with the things that I was struggling with in, inside my brain that I couldn't have done if I didn't just let go of my mind. Mm-hmm. You said a couple things that really resonated deeply with me. One of them, what we talked about, essentially, this is an invisible struggle. Right? So we have people right alongside us who may be suffering from PTSD and we're not even aware of it. And you also talked eloquently about this opening where you realized the world wasn't what you thought it was, right? And we talk a lot about that in this conversation, be you, be Booz Allen, and seeing one another for who they are. I see you and I acknowledge you, which is not as easy if someone's suffering for something that we just don't see, right? That's an invisible disability or challenge. So what would you offer to those who are listening today about how do we help someone who may be experiencing PTSD? The first thing to understand with PTSD is that every single person has experienced trauma or stress to the degree where they have probably developed PTSD themselves. Everybody. It's not for soldiers, it's not for law enforcement officers, it's not for people on a battlefield. It's everybody has some PTSD traits in their life. And when you talk about seeing somebody, that's probably the biggest thing that we can do is to acknowledge a person, not a, a person's traits, not a person's successes or shortcomings or disabilities or struggles, but just acknowledging the person. Feeling seen, feeling heard feeling acknowledged, identifying, recognizing the things about a person that are in yourself. Empathy is probably one of the greatest tools in the mental health toolbox, because when you can put yourself in a person's shoes and try as hard as you can to understand the things that have shaped that person's perspective and shaped that person's worldviews and motivated that person to do or say the things that they do or say, takes the judgment and the stigma away from the things that they may feel awkward about voicing. When I choose to make myself vulnerable or situations force me to show vulnerability, the response from the people that I'm with is a big indicator as to how much more vulnerability I can show. Let's play it out for a second. Do you have a conversation with people that you're meeting or people that you're working with or new people coming in that's your team or, and, and what does that conversation look like? And when you say, and I heard you so clearly at the beginning, you said, I want empathy. Yeah, like, yeah. yes. Um, 
What are the words that we can use to demonstrate and affirm, you know, and help enable that empathy in that moment when you're sharing your story? Are there specific words or conversely, are there things that people shouldn't say? If you're really comfortable with the whole process, then nothing anybody says is is going to be a problem because just having the conversation, just any any words that people can find. Authentic um, and genuine and right. Okay. Yeah, because when I walk into a new job, I'm usually very stressed and I'm very insecure because I'm in a new place with new people and new processes and systems that I'm, I'm completely unaware of. So I know that I'm going to be twitching. I know that I'm going to be, you know, a little bit lost and a little bit confused. And when somebody says to me, hey, it looks like you're struggling. It's okay. I'm here to help you. The first thing I tell them is, thank you very much. You know, I I, I have a difficult time with, with stress. Anything that you have to do to get it out there in front of people, you have to do. So if if you feel the need to just blurt it out there and say, hey, I've got PTSD and I struggle with some things, then at least there's no there's no doubt whatsoever. PTSD is not something that you cure. There's there's no you don't wake up one day and say, oh, it's gone. I'm better. It's something that you carry with you for the rest of your life. I know that my reaction has an impact on people. I know that I control what kind of reaction I allow myself to have. I have triggers. And I know that if I prepare myself, that any event is possible. If I go out into the world, if I'm sitting here at work, if I'm watching TV, knowing that I have PTSD is one thing. Knowing that I have triggers as part of that PTSD is another thing. Identifying what those triggers are and how they became triggers is the next step. And then identifying situations and where those triggers may manifest is the next step. And I'm going to use this to respond in a calm manner because I know that my behavior is going to affect the people around me. So if I'm calm, they'll be calm. And then if they're calm, then I feel like I'm more in control. My biggest fear is scaring the people that I love or trust into a point where they don't want to be around me anymore. So I have a responsibility. Yeah. In different circumstances, you have strategies that you're drawing from. Right. You've got a plan of action before you go into that environment or a circumstance, whatever it might be, and draw from that. Right. If there are people listening today who are in a place of suffering, isolating, you know, in this stage, what is one thing you would offer them that they could grab onto to try and get incrementally out of that place? I think the most important thing that I would tell them is that there is absolutely nothing wrong with who they are and where they are. That it is completely normal what they're experiencing, what they're going through, and that there are many, many people in the world that understand exactly what they're going through. So I would just tell them, you're not alone. You are perfectly normal. And I am here to listen to anything that you have to tell me whenever you whenever you have to say it, because they we need that sounding board just from time to time. That's that's probably the best that I could do. For those of us who may not know, That someone alongside us, a family member, a friend, a colleague, someone in our place of worship is suffering. What are some of the signs that you would ask that we be aware of? If you see an individual kind of uh, 
you know, sitting there quietly with their eyes closed and they're kind of talking to themselves or repeating little mantras to themselves rhythmically or, you know, rhythmic tapping or trying to self-soothe or regulate or, you know, calm themselves down. First, give them time to do that because you, you'll see a, a change in their physical features, the the flushed cheeks, the sweat on their brow, their forehead, the the shaking, the tremors. If they're in that behavior, give them a moment, but speak to them and tell them, it's me, I'm here, I see that you might be struggling, can I help you? Just putting a hand on somebody's shoulder and talking to them and engaging them and just letting them know that you're there is sometimes all we need to start bringing ourselves back. That's what what service dogs are for, service animals. Mm. They redirect you. And so those of us without service animals, sometimes we need human contact to redirect. There's another movie, Doctor Strange, there's a quote in there. One of the, the characters tells this lady, you know, you help me defeat my demons. And she says, we don't defeat our demons. We just learn to live above them. It's always there. It's ever present. And like that horse running, you know, eventually that horse has to stop. Yeah, no, I couldn't say it more eloquently. Tony, you've said so many amazing things in this discussion that we've had today. I mean, really special words that I know people will be inspired by. Still, at the end of every podcast, we leave free space for our guests to offer final words. Is there anything else you'd like to offer our audience today? Yes. First of all, if there's anybody out there listening to this podcast and you have things on your mind that you don't know how to say or who to say them to, you are always welcome to contact me. I'm an employee at Booz Allen. Any way that you need to get a hold of me to talk, you're welcome to. Secondly, I love you all. And I appreciate people that I have met and the people that I have yet to meet. I appreciate every relationship I've ever had, whether they've ended well or they've ended poorly. Uh, I appreciate everything that any person has ever shared with me because you didn't have to. And I, I learned something from you, even if it took me years to understand what your impact was. I do. I do understand it now. And I am sharing it with anybody else that I can share it with. No gesture of love and empathy is ever too small. No amount of care that you show to any person or that any person shows you is ever too small. Any act of love and kindness and appreciation and empathy to a person who needs it is a moment that is created for you. And I just urge you to stop and take stock in the moments of your life and appreciate your, your proximity in those moments so that you don't let those moments slip by unnoticed. Because every moment has a person, a place, a thing, or an event that can help you be a better you and become the person that you're meant to be. So if there's anything that I can ever do to help you find your way back to the campfire from the darkness, I am more than happy to talk and listen and share this moment with them as well. Thank you, Tony. You're welcome. And thank you. Thanks for listening. 
Visit careers.boozallen.com to learn how you can be unstoppable with Booz Allen. Be the future. Work with us. The world can't wait.